back in the day, we didn't have the internet. So preachers would come out with um, preacher stories and they were all kinds of dramatic things. We couldn't look them up and you couldn't go find any information in a library if somebody would drive you there. So those stories lived on and then they became a part of us. It was only later in life that I started asking people, who told you that? And then who told them that? And you can see where this is going. Who told them that? I'll give you some examples. We were told that during World War II, pilots flying over Persia, modern day Iran, dropped New Testaments from their cockpit. Now, we didn't know anything about flying, so flying a World War II fighter aircraft or bomber or supply thing across Persia and opening up a cockpit and throwing out a Bible didn't seem fishy to us at the moment. But the story got better. It would say that uh, the people down there found the Bible in their language and they read it and they believed in Christ and they formed a church that worshiped exactly like we did. Wow. And that just proved it. That just proved that we were the only church that truly believed the Bible. And all the other churches um, gave lip service to it, maybe, but they didn't really believe the Bible. There were similar stories about the Soviet Union that uh, there were ships that put Bibles in little baggies or sealed them in plastic. And then as the tide would be heading toward the Soviet Union, off there in the Pacific Ocean or way up there in the Arctic, close, close to Alaska, they would throw these Bibles overboard and then these Bibles would wash up on the shore there in the Soviet Union and people would find them and read them and guess what kind of churches that they developed all on their own by reading the Bible churches that looked exactly like ours. Now these stories were all over the place and they had profound effect on the way generations of people were shaped. Now this is not just true in my particular religious tribe. This is true in all religious tribes. It's true in cultural uh, matters as well, cultural stories. And you go back through and you dig and you go, you know something? I'm not sure that's true. Who told them that? There was an illustration of this that hit my um, my phone recently. It doesn't matter whether it's email, text, or Facebook messenger or whatever, but a, a gentleman wrote in who was who had found our church online, our Safe Harbor Church, and was um, uh, felt like he needed to take us to task because he had read his Bible. Of course, the assumption there is, of course, we didn't. Maybe we read a digest version perhaps, but he had read his Bible and the only instrument that God created was the vocal cords. And that's the only one that was acceptable to him. And that no other instrument made by man was acceptable in worship. Oh, there are so many things here. You see, those of you that were not a part of my particular tribe may not know this, but we were taught that it was a sin to play an instrument while singing a religious song. You could play an instrument while singing, you know, Harvest Moon or uh, any of the, the songs of the 40s, 50s, 60s, perhaps. But if you sang a religious song with him, then God was terribly displeased, even though he used him in the Old Testament. And we were ready for that. And as soon as anybody goes, well, he used him in the Old Testament, we'd say yes, but he also sacrificed animals and he, men had many wives. All of that has changed now and he hates them now. 
who who told you that? I used to preach it because I was told all these great minds had settled this matter and that they had looked over all the theology and the only honest people with scripture, I what are the odds, were us. And God, in fact, if you came from a church where you were baptized and everything else was just like ours, but you used instruments, you had to come forward, another concept, be interesting to examine, and repent of the sin of using instruments, and then we would let you into our fold, which was the only saved group. Now, and by the way, we weren't honest about that, because people would say, are you saying that all these other people are going to hell? And we go, now it's not up to us to judge, but we judged. Um, so, my, I wonder who told this fellow that? Well, I, I can tell kind of who did, because I know what we always said, what we were always taught. But who taught the teachers this? I don't think our teachers were dishonest, bad people. I think they were telling us what they had been taught. Well, who taught them? And who taught them? I stumbled upon a book that was published in the mid-1800s where it took to task anyone who would use instruments in worship by reading, or by, by quoting rather, all the great reformers in a Protestant tradition that had railed against instruments. In case you didn't know this, um, Protestant churches almost entirely refused to use instruments in worship for at least in their beginning years. And they would, uh, they would attack it uh, as, as, you know, uh, Martin Luther just thought instruments in worship were as appropriate as a cowbell in an orchestra. Uh, we lived in the village of Dundonald in Scotland for a while, and the church, the Kirk, uh, the Church of Scotland across the street from us, had had a division, evidently, in the early 1800s when someone had brought in an organ and um, the, the church marched out asking about that kist of whistles, that chest of whistles that somebody had brought in. Well, why were they against it? Why were the Protestants against it? Well, you find the Protestants were against it because the Catholics had it. And they were, they were against anything the Catholics had. Therefore, they didn't do robes until they did. And they didn't do titles until they did. And they didn't do uh, Christmas and Easter until they did. You know, eventually they accepted, but at first it, they needed to protest. And so that's what they did. Well, so the Catholics always had it. No, no, this is a surprise too. They slowly introduced instruments and by and large really kept the instruments tight. Uh, you could have an organ, you'd have a little bit of this and that, but not only, none of the others. It was only in the 60s and 70s that uh, folk guitars and such began to creep their way in to mass protest within the Catholic Church. So you start asking again, I have to ask, who told who that these were wrong? Who were the first people to say they were wrong? Because in the Old Testament, they were plainly loved. And in fact, the Psalms even had order us to play with them. Um, and then you find out some things. We have the internet now, plus we have all kinds of libraries and access. We didn't have 40, 50 years ago. So cut all of these people a huge break, please. Lots of grace, lots of grace. I don't think that that one in a thousand of them were being dishonest to be mean or spiteful. They felt they were being honest and they felt like this was absolutely God's truth. But when you trace it back, every quotation 
about why we don't have music in our worship in the earliest, earliest, earliest churches. We're talking the first, second, third centuries, uh, sometimes even the fourth and fifth. Every single one of the quotes I could find was because it makes us look like Jews or pagans. There was never an argument to silence. Now that's a particular type of argument, which is logically uh, fallacious. There, there's no logic professor that will allow you to get away with the argument from silence. But it was used in religion quite a bit. The idea is instruments were not mentioned as being used in the New Testament. Therefore, God did not approve of them or he would have brought them up. And that there's there's so many things wrong with that. Didn't know that at the time because I was listening to the people who'd been taught by the people who'd been taught back in the way. Let's go back to this. When you go back, you find out that every one of the foundational arguments was prejudiced against the Jews. The Jews have all of this and we must be separate from them. There were a lot of political things going on at the time that were becoming very personal. Uh, the Jews did not want to get persecuted by Rome uh, because Rome was coming after the Christians. In, most, in the Roman mind, Roman government mind, the Christians were just a subset of the Jews. And after a while, the Jews were going, no, no, this isn't us. And by the way, this isn't me blaming the Jews because the Christians, eh, they were pretty awful about this at the same time. You know, we're not Jews, we're not Jews. And it was, a, it was really who was in power at the time as to who was trying. It was a very messy divorce. And Christians throughout history have not acquitted themselves well in the way they've treated their Jewish brothers. Let's be very honest. That said, the Jews wanted to separate from the Christians and the Christians wanted to separate from the Jews. Well, the Jews had always had lots of noise in their worship, trumpets and cymbals and clashing and bells. And so the Christians moved it to very solemn, very stripped down, none of the flash. And that was the argument. Oh, they also didn't want to look like pagans because pagans also did a lot of noise in their worship. Um, and by the way, uh, most churches still use a lot of noise, whether it's a pagan church or um, there are Muslim um, progressions that are very, very loud, as well as some that are very, very quiet. So it's just really, you know, which ones do the public see? They generally see the loud ones. So who told you? I want to give you a little test. All right. I began to ask myself the question, and it really came from this concept of the New Testament floating ashore in the Soviet Union in baggies or um, uh, World War II fighters, uh, fighters rather, fighter pilots, uh, risking life, limb, and their equipment by opening cockpits or by firing Bibles through the, um, the bomb doors, none of which happened. Um, somebody may have tried it, but. Uh, none of our churches sprung up like flowers in the desert. But I, I, I came up with this concept. What if you were a Yugoslavian goat herd? This shows you how long ago I came up with this. There used to be a country called Yugoslavia. What if you were a Yugoslavian goat herd and suddenly a miracle, the Bible drops down at your feet and you hear thunder, read this book. And it's all in your language and it's written in your vernacular. So it's not like, 
your language 300 years ago, like the King James Version would be you know, 400 years distant from us. No, this is, this is exactly something you can read. We have a literate Yugoslavian goat herd with a pristine copy of scripture delivered from heaven in his language. You read the Bible. Would you come up with the doctrine you just came up with that God only likes vocal cords for instruments? I don't think so. I don't think it would have ever approached your mind. You needed centuries of warring, complaining, debating theologians to get where you are today. If you just went straight back to the Bible, that would have never crossed your mind at all. And even then, who in the first few centuries had all 66 books dropped down in front of them? Well, they had the, the books of the Old Testament, those were uh, generally available. Most people weren't literate and they didn't own a copy. And even the literate ones didn't own a copy, but they were available. You can have people read them to you and people very often paid for people to read things to them. Um, but what about the New Testament books? Those didn't show up for a while. Those were being written that first hundred years. Some would say a bit longer. No, no. I would say even shorter than 100 years. But the fact is they were still being written, still being gathered. And it was a good 300 years after Jesus that everybody pretty much agreed on the same set of books. And even that's an exaggeration because there were books that uh, were eventually added, books that were eventually dropped. There were books in the middle nobody knew what to do with that took another 1,000 years, actually more than 1,000, to work through. So you're not going to get the whole Bible in front of you. So what if you pick, just pick six books out of the New Testament? You know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, 27 books, you get 17 books. There's not a rich person in the early church that could have grabbed 17 of the books in the first hundred years. You pick your 17. Now read them. Would you come up with the doctrines you've got right now? I'm not so sure. This is why it's important to ask when anybody has anything that they bring to you as a religious argument, just ask, who told you that? And then, who told them that? Until you get back to the root. No wonder then, then in Matthew 25, Jesus doesn't mention any of this on the judgment day. He just mentions how we loved each other and those that loved each other well are invited in. This may be why Paul says, listen, I don't know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised on the third day. That's all I know. No wonder then that throughout the New Testament, the scripture says that if you confess Christ at the, at the judgment, then he confesses you. There's no pop quiz of doctrine. I live my life, a lot of it, especially the first third, um, maybe the first half, preaching things that I believed sincerely because people told me them and they believe them sincerely because they'd been taught to people who told them that and they believe that sincerely, but nobody went back far enough to ask the question, 
who told you that? Maybe we shouldn't be worried about whether somebody uses a guitar, a flute, or hums or sings. Maybe we should more be interested in who are they worshiping? And if it's Jesus, extend a hand to fellowship. You have the right to ask me, who told me that? And 